Well, the history of ILM goes way back. And when we started the first film, I uh, investigated all of the optical houses and special effects people and realized there was nobody around and no company around that could really do things that I wanted to do in that picture. So I realized that I was going to have to start a company and put together a whole group of people that would just be specifically for making Star Wars. A long time ago in theaters far, far away, four nerds got swept up by one of the greatest pop culture waves in cinema history. Now, as adults with a lifetime of fandom under their belts, they get together to discuss the mythology, characters, and business of creating Star Wars. Turn up your headphones, dial back your sensibilities, and join the wretched hive of scum and villainy as we take the low road to resistance. This is episode 31 of season 3 of Force Insensitive, a Star Wars podcast. And this week, we are going to begin our coverage of Light and Magic. So we had, well, I'll get into the change of plans in just a minute, but we're going to talk about episode 1 of Light and Magic, Gang of Outsiders. And uh, then we got a voice message and some news to discuss. And then we will fucking all go to bed. And I don't know. Some of us will have good dreams. Some of us won't. But let's get set up for our attack round. This is Black and Blue Leader standing by. Uh, uh, Green Steve, where are we? <laughs> right where you need to be. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's just me and Green Sativa this week for now, and we'll see if anyone else shows up. I swear. I to be here when I'm here. I listened to the episode last week and found out how much you guys dislike me, so I'm just going to become really quiet like Alberto now. What did, I don't remember saying anything bad. What? I don't remember us saying anything bad, did we? It wasn't bad. You just uh, very happily pointed out my faults, and I just figured, well. What, which ones? That's how they see it. All of them? I can't. Not all. Not all. <laughs> would, have, would have had an extended show. <laughs> See, <laughs> this is this is what I'm getting at, man. I'm just gonna be really quiet and recessed and only speak when spoken to. Okay. Well, Rocky, what are your faults? Oh God, where should we begin? Or, um, or, or maybe even better, uh, vices. <laughs> the ones that I've had or ones that I still have? The ones that you will, actively I, have. Let's I start will correct there. You. I will correct you on one misconception of me you had, and I will actually have to sling in response to your co-host on your other show with this. When uh, I did my little thing for your landmark episode last week, Um <clears throat> When it was brought up that somebody was jokingly saying, oh, that's tobacco he's smoking. It wasn't tobacco I was smoking. You know exactly what that was because there well, are I know. no cigarettes. Yeah, there I know. I, I know it wasn't tobacco. <laughs> but that's the thing is I will I will say that I, I will from time to time actually enjoy a butt. So I do on occasion smoke the tobacco. On occasion you enjoy a butt? 
Mm-hmm. In more ways than one. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the analingus type of dude. So I don't do that. Well, but. so, uh, the name of the episode, light and magic is gang of outsiders. Maybe you're part of the gang of the insiders. <laughs> <laughs> no, I stay on the outside. I don't, I don't go in the inside. I stay right around the, the squishy gluteus part of the maximum (laughs) i stay in that area i'm a big fan of the fucking nice squishy butt so (laughs) i just don't go where few men have boldly gone (laughs) you're not really into salad i i i I tend to stay in the gray i've never fallen to the dark side <laughs> so I am I am more of a gray Jedi, I will admit, but I I not a brown Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> brown brown number two going in. Brown number That's two. Funny. Wait, no, brown number two coming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> from a certain point of view <laughs> uh, but anyway yeah no it's uh yeah i, I Tra- that, that translucent white number one coming out <laughs> translucent <laughs> white <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm gonna use that next call sign with the other guys <laughs> Come in just to see who reacts. <clears throat> you can be brown number two. <laughs> just change it up on them when they fucking show up next week and brown totally fuck two. their program. <laughs> Write that down. Brown number two and translucent white checking in so that next week we can fuck with the other two fucking asshats. <clears throat> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> translucent white. Oh, God. <laughs> the only way they could get, the only thing, like, the only way they could be worse is viscous moistness checking in. Oh, viscous moistness. <laughs> it sounds like a sounds, sounds like a Sith gladiator. name. It sounds like a gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> Bow down before viscous moistness. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, thou art myrtle. <laughs> Remember, thou art fertile. Any longer. Yeah. <laughs> ever, ever, ever since he had that clash with Vasectomus, things have been different. Wow. Uh, Vasectomus. <laughs> Darth Vasectomus. Darth Vasectomus. <clears throat> he, he's the Sith Lord the fucking planet Earth needs at this moment. <laughs> Holy shit. People people stop people that my point is is people stop reproducing, man. The planet's running out of resources to handle everybody, and let's face it, we're just adding more assholes to the dumpster fire that is planet Earth at this point. (laughs) That's your PSA for the week. Quit I don't mind if you fuck. Let's just fucking make sure nothing happens from it nine months later. Thank you. (laughs) That is all. All right, this is what happens when uh, we're left to our own devices. Yeah, that's when you find out weird little subject, like another one of my vices, Johnny, is I'm completely for abortion up to the age of 36. (laughs) 
so it's, it's so you know so it's too late for mars <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he's grandfather in <laughs> no he's just a grandfather he's gonna take himself out so eventually he's just really bad at that job apparently <laughs> all but right well anyway let's get a move on yep because uh we want to prove that it's not just you and I that are that are the ones who uh, make the show long. Yeah, well, you know, because Mars has he he staked his claim last last week since we finished around two hours, uh, as it was just the two of us. Dude, to be fair, he finishes at two hours even when we're all here, dude, because that fucker falls asleep. Oh, all right, that's fair. Yeah, he's a two-hour man. <laughs> <laughs> a two-hour man. <laughs> <laughs> then the cola started getting rough. His tiny bowels were tossed. <laughs> oh, God. If not for the saving of the porcelain god, <laughs> the Marcy would be lost. Oh, man. <laughs> the, All shit, right. the shit set ground. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're just going to keep me going. I'm going to stop. Go ahead. Uh... All right. So, anyways. There, we have a little bit of a change in plans. We'll talk about this in, in a little bit more detail later, I'm sure. But Andor uh, got delayed or pushed back a few weeks. So instead of dropping on August, uh, August 31st, like we initially thought, it will be September 21st. So it's moving a month uh, or rather, I guess, three three weeks. Three, three weeks, weeks, rather, yeah. So... Um, but they are going to be dropping three episodes at once now instead of two, I guess. So, which makes our job high, harder. So they're not still not doing us any favors. I agree. It's uh, it's gonna be tough to talk about three fucking episodes of a Star Wars show in one episode of a podcast. But uh, we'll we'll do our best. So I guess I guess it depends on the pacing of their setup. As to whether that will be the matter, if like the first two episodes are really just a lot of establishing, then we can cover that pretty quickly, I would think. But I guess it depends on how in depth this show is out the gate. Yeah, uh, we shall see. But um, yeah, so because of that, we were originally we had three weeks between basically last week and the start of our Andor coverage, but because they bumped it three weeks. What that means is now we get to spend um, a, a podcast episode discussing each episode of Light and Magic. So on today's show, we'll just be talking about episode one of Light and Magic, and uh, we'll continue on for the next six weeks talking about a single episode. And then on the, let me just double check the date here, on the 14th of September, that will be our Andor preview show we'll be recording. And then starting on uh, September 21st, we will have our first episode of Andor uh, dropping on the same day or later that evening uh, that the shows drop on Disney+. Plus. What? I just thought about an ad campaign they completely missed out on with this whole changing of the launch dates. What's up? They should have left it confusing and just said fucking August 31st and or September 20th. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, I would have been that ambiguous dick in the office. Like, let's just fuck with the fans. <laughs> 
Or maybe they are fucking with us. Maybe it'll drop. You know, honestly, I, I'm curious as to why they're doing this route. Well, they never explained it for Obi-Wan. I mean, so I, I don't anticipate we'll ever hear. I think, I think it just, there was, maybe they need a little bit more time on the post-production. Um, maybe there was a, a, like a better window of opportunity. I don't know what the competition looks like right now, but I mean, well, really, maybe, I, only, I only thought that they've done it before with a Marvel and a, and a DC run, uh, DC, a Marvel and a fucking star Wars running at the same time. But I thought maybe it had something to do with she Hulk's drop, but that still doesn't make sense either. No, the only thing that, and, and the only thing that seemed to make sense to me was if, the Bad Batch was going to start after Andor, but that's not true because um, Bad Batch um, is will be overlapping with Andor because it starts on September 28th. Oh, that's going to get fucking... Yeah, shit. so it starts the week after Andor drops. I, I just don't really, like, I don't know. Like, I don't understand it. I, like, I don't know why... They just didn't release Andor and then do Bad Batch after, and then that'll bridge the gap between Andor and um, season three of Mando. You know, possibly. <clears throat> um, because Andor A has so many episodes, but Andor was you know one of the you know it's been in production for a while. Um, I'm wondering if. I wonder how far in advance they knew there was going to be a cohesive universe. And if Andor, since it's going to be running for so many seasons and have so many episodes, is going to do a lot of a lot of the groundwork for setting up backstory pre-rebellion of information we don't have yet. And also information from the Rebels timeline that people who never watch Rebels will never know. So... I think they might use that. And if Hera and the ghost crew are going to be showing up in fucking um, Ahsoka anyway, there's a good chance we may get our first look at those characters or and or references to those characters within that Andor storyline to give people that background who have never watched Rebels. That is sort of my mm -hmm. wondering how much was planned in advance. And if there wasn't, they might have secretly done some extra filler shots or something to blend this in, which is why there's been delays. So I don't know. That's just one of my weird little theories. Yeah. I mean, who knows, but you could be right. I mean, maybe there is a, you know, something with bad. It could also be something in bad batch is going to happen. They wanted to make oh. sure, um, you know, this leads into it or something like that. Or if it had dropped, if they had dropped, um, and or on August 31st, maybe like episode five or whatever that would have dropped that day would have spoiled something. So, I mean, it could be something along those lines or it's just simple, something simple as, hey, we just need some more post-production time, you know? Yep. It's fun to speculate, but until the, at the end of the day, we never know until something shows. So. Yep. So that's the plan moving forward and... Uh, but yeah, so we're going to start with Light and Magic. And if you guys have any thoughts about the documentary series, you can feel free to send a voice message. We do have a voice message uh, coming up later that um, someone is going to be talking about Light and Magic Episode 1. So looking forward to hearing 
from them. And uh, if you guys have thoughts about any of these episodes, go ahead and send us a voice message, forceinsensitive at gmail.com. Or you can also go to speakpipe.com slash forceinsensitive and you can leave a message directly from that page. You just hit the start recording button and uh, works on your mobile device, tablet, computer, whatever. So any of those will work for leaving a message and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. All right, so you know what? We could just, maybe we'll just talk about the boys since I watched all three seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you and I haven't spoke since you took that trip. That's right, I forgot. I haven't <laughs> spoken to you since you started. I was the one that pushed you there. You did, yeah, you did push me, and I'm glad because Actually, I, it's really Actually, I pushed good. you and Corny there, evil Corny there, too. I pushed him there, too. So uh, I was kind of happy when I, in the brief encounters I've had with you guys since it happened that uh, the joy was there it is a uh it is a ride everyone needs to take at least once in their life whether you love it or hate it you should really fucking suck it up and take that ride because it is definitely unlike many things you've ever seen <laughs> and it's funny uh because i was talking to corny a little bit about it and nice. he sent me i don't remember what year this was it might have been from 2020 he sent me a a, a list of barack obama's favorite like TV oh, shows for the year, <laughs> and the boys was one of them. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty funny, actually. But the thing is, is like, you know, if you can get past some of the over-the-top visual things you have to deal with, the the writing and the acting are like in perfect harmony. They've got the perfect people for all these fucking roles, and they manage to make it even more intense than it should be written on a piece of paper. Like, honestly, there has never been a villain so despicable as fucking Homelander. There just really isn't. He's he's an amalgamation of every single 80s high school John Hughes bad person that has ever been <laughs> with the hair and the face. It's like literally if they took the computer from Weird Science and put in... <laughs> all the fucking bad dudes from every single John Hughes movie in that that's the face that would have come out. He has the world's most punchable face <laughs> and he's horrible. There is no redeeming factor to him at all. But I, I will say though, that there, there are some moments where you feel some sympathy for him though. Like they're, they're, they're not like, you know, they're kind of few and far between, but there's some, you know, there are some sympathetic moments where you can see how it affected him, but the fact that even after he's been shown and told that that's not good doesn't change the fact. So, like, you understand he was molded that way, but you would have thought through the course of him being a hero, there would have been something to show him what right and wrong is, and it's just not. There's just not an ounce of it in him that you do feel bad for his situation of how he got there. But by the same token, none of it is able to redeem a fucking thing he's ever done or even thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a fun show and makes but me... After you watch it, I want to ask you one thing. This is the only thing I'm going to ask about it before we move on. After watching it through, through you know the first two seasons and when you finally get to season three and you get to Herogasm, how utterly satisfying is that beat down i'm trying to think of which oh oh uh butcher and 
Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. Fucking soldier boy. I thought you. I wasn't sure who you meant. Like, because it could have could have been Blue Wave. It could have been A Train. Like, um, there was gotcha. actually a few beatdowns that happened in that. Um, there was. I guess. The, I guess Huey on A Train wasn't really a beatdown, but it was a more of a smackdown. But no, but they managed to give him a redeeming factor. Yeah. If anybody ever feel bad for it's A Train because you think he's just a victim of social paradigms and fucking where he found himself because you know i don't think i don't think anybody else of the seven is eternally bad except for maybe well no we find out in season three that black noir is just fucked up um but uh yeah it, it, like mauve has her redeeming factor and they should all show signs of it except for homelander but i just feel like a train is the sympathetic one and it, it really all comes down to the deep. That dude, <laughs> it all comes down. <laughs> fucking crazy. And Timothy was that his? Uh, his yeah, <laughs> his, his friend that he had to eat. His friend. Yeah. Oh, that was. The, and see, once again, that is another one of those just moments where you just there's nothing in Homelander's soul, and how that actor can just look both that evil and empty at the same fucking time. That's mm-hmm. that's a skill, man. Kudos to that motherfucker. <laughs> All right, this isn't the boys' podcast, so we'll we'll uh, talk about. Well, like you magic. said you wanted to. Yes, <laughs> I know. I just I just I just rolled me up something that's gonna get have a little bit of light right here, and it's gonna cause magic. <laughs> So Stardust, let's go. All right. So Light Magic is a 2022 documentary TV series and is directed by Lawrence Kasdan, uh, who has very close ties uh, to George Lucas since he was the co-writer of the Star Wars film The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens and Solo, a Star Wars story. And he also co-wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. And... um, we may talk about this in news later, but apparently he's also open to returning for a solo sequel type thing. I read that. So, and let's be honest, Kazan has been involved with the best stuff both Lucas and Spielberg have done. Like all the things that he has been involved with with them has all been their best stuff. I mean, Empire is arguably the best Star Wars film. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark fucking took us on a ride we didn't know we wanted but we got you know fucking he's just been the magic pin behind a lot of things yeah he certainly has been and so um he put together this documentary series which i think is a i mean it's kind of a kind of a great idea i mean there's there's a lot of really um interesting stuff that they can tackle with this and i've only there's seen a lot of new footage too that i've never seen out of any of the ilm stuff before yeah, Just which is which is surprising. Yeah, especially exactly. for all the documentaries that we've seen, and yeah, it's it's pretty great. So those early designs of the ships, we'll get to it. But those early designs of the ships footage, I have never seen that early concept, actual physical model of the X wing, the X wings yeah, and the Tie Fighter, and that I had never seen that before. Yeah. I'd seen the artwork that they showed that it was based off of, but I never knew they built a model of that. So let's see it. Um, so this, the series uh, recounts the history of the motion picture visual effects company, industrial light and magic from its founding in 1975 to its key role in the development of visual effects in filmmaking. 
And uh, this episode, um, it initially aired on July 27th, or or I should say they, they dumped all six on Disney Plus on July 27th. Um, and the first episode that we're going to talk about is Gang of Outsiders. And uh, just some of the names of folks who were interviewed. I'm not going to go through uh, a, a comprehensive list because there's a lot of people, but Obviously, we have George Lucas, we have John Dykstra, Richard Edland, Joe Johnston, Lauren Peterson, Phil Tippett, Ken Ralston, Dennis Murin, Harrison Ellenshaw, Forrest Ackerman, uh, John Berg, Colin Cantwell. There's even a, a cameo by Walt Disney, which is kind of funny. And, uh, and lots of others. And... The synopsis of this specific episode is an unlikely team comes together to create the effects for a new space film called The Star Wars. Have you seen that movie, The Star Wars? I've heard some shitty things. <laughs> so glad the internet's there to let me know what's good and bad. Yeah, no shit. Um, okay, so what uh, What did you what'd you think overall? Uh, overall, and I discussed this with Mars a little bit in our chat earlier, was I had to start watching it, and then I had to get up and do some stuff. And um, uh, I had to come back to it. But uh, out the gate, it you know, just the approach they took to getting you into where it's going was nice and it felt comfortable. Like I didn't want to have I didn't want to have to stop. Um, when I came back, it was a very enjoyable ride. If, you know, once again... I guess it depends on if you're into the whole behind the scenes thing, if you're that kind of, you know, geek when it comes to cinema in general. Um, but like I said, there was a lot of new footage in this that I had never seen before. And believe me, I have, I have force fed myself every image from back in the days of star log, you know, and, you know, Cinescape magazine. Yep shit like that you know that every little piece you could get yeah i remember seeing seeing that first photo that now you know we've actually seen the footage of now but back then the deleted scene from a new hope with biggs and luke and um the other two characters standing there with he's got the uh fishing hat on with the fucking binoculars looking at the star <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> you know so I, I I just assumed that I've seen, you know, I saw the photos of it and then saw the moving footage of the test of the, you know, Boba Fett Mandalorian armor in white when they first gave a test walkthrough. I've seen all that stuff. So the fact that there was still more I haven't fucking seen was pretty fucking amazing. So, um, yeah, it was fun. It felt good. It, it, it runs smooth. It's a very well, at least the first episode anyway, it seems to be a very well put together documentary, which I would expect from these people. But, uh, you know, it's very informative without being too obtuse for the average watcher, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. They don't go into a lot of tech jargon. And even when they start to trail off on tech jargon, they're just like, you know, had the, we just had to make it work, you know, so. Yeah, it's it is definitely it, it's a pretty interesting look at at the creation of ILM. Um, you know, I have seen some of the ILM stuff, but I I do feel that this is going. I mean, this will be the most comprehensive look at it because we got we got to hear a lot about the backgrounds of a lot of the people that you know made up the core of right. ILM. You know, with uh, John Dykstra being sort of the head and the one who put everything together, 
and right down that to magnificent beard that fella all had, almost all of that fucking magnificent yeah. beard Jesus. but Dykstra's beard was fantastic that was that was some grizzly adams level majestic beard. <laughs> the one thing i'm i'm seeing is to, in order to be in ilm back in the day you had to wear um either like a jean button-up shirt have a beard <laughs> long hair or outfit and a beard and long hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you had to, you had, and you had to step out of a seventy fucking five Econoline van with some sort of sci-fi or fantasy mural painted on the side. Exactly, <laughs> and a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and a wizard, space wizard. <laughs> <laughs> but we also had. I had actually never seen the Joe Johnson thing about him taking Colin Cantwell's um, concepts for the ships. I didn't know that he. Or at least, you know what? Actually, I think I read that he had created the Millennium Falcon, but I don't think I'd ever hear heard him talk about it in this way. Do you remember hearing him talk about uh, the creation of the Millennium Falcon? Not in this way. No, this is also a new bit of thing that they were showing, especially even the early concept drops and the way he actually articulated, you know, that oh, these two plates in the sink, if you yeah, put them together. It's basically like know. a flying saucer is how he came up with yeah. it. Yeah. So, no, those little things I love. I know it's the minutia of it, but, you know, Star Wars being one of those things that I've loved since a child, I love learning anything new anyway, and learning something new about something I love is just fucking cherry on life's cake. So, um, yeah, little things like that bring me joy from a nerd standpoint, and especially when it relates to the tech side of things, whether it be the armor or the ships or something like that. So this got me in the in the tasty regions early <laughs> on go deep into the tasty regions is that uh <laughs> is that where we're, t- we're hyperspacing uh hyper jumping to how many licks does it taste does it take to get to the tasty regions of your soul <laughs> one two three <laughs> so um, like that was a cool story with joe johnson creating the millennium falcon and and you know, hearing here's about another thing too. Here's another thing too. The reason that he, he needed to do such a rush on it is because the original right. concept, where they had kind of ripped from 2001. Um, no, well, it was sort of two th- from 2001, but it was from another movie. Um, oh, uh, space, uh, 1999. Um, uh, gosh, something 1999. I've seen it before. Yeah, I'm forgetting the name of the movie now. Um, I'll look for it in the in the thing here. Anyway, yeah, the fact that the design was, you know, a, a bastardized version of that, that they, you know, recobbled into something, and he wanted something new, which that ship turned out to be the Tantia Four slash Blockade Runner. Um, Space 1999, yep. There you go. So uh, that was really neat, too, and I had never put those two things together either, but once they showed, the, you know, the sketches right next to the, the film, version of space 1999 i was like huh why did i never put that together yeah so and and you know it's fine to use it for the blockade runner um because that's a you know it's a ship that's it's not a signature ship it's 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 you know the beginning of it but it's not the millennium falcon is basically another character exactly yeah so it had to be an original creation so i think it was definitely a good a good good way of going about um, tackling that. I think the best part of this whole thing was when he said, he's like, so I thought about 
what would George like? Would George would like the one thing that's the oddest, most unexpected. So let's try yep. that. So that's why I put the cockpit on the outside on one side and balanced it out with the radar dish. And it was like, sure enough, that's the one Lucas went for. I was like, that's that's really knowing your boss, man. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah, it's it's funny. He had basically he had the cockpit and the and the the radar like. And they're like, okay, we've already made these. Let's use these. So it was like him just sort of like, you know, building off of that. Like, like it's just crazy to think about. And making, think about how iconic a ship with those two things. Well, and and but that being said, think of how iconic that cockpit from the Millennium Falcon is. It's, oh yeah. Anytime you've ever seen a spoof on Star Wars, they've recreated the cockpit scene in the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot of really great stuff. The one thing I'm, I mean, I left on kind of a big cliffhanger though, because I'm not sure, like, are they going to be able to get this done in time? Like, will Star Wars ever come out? I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> or as Mar <laughs> Mars would be interested because he doesn't know if any of these people are dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got him riveted. Um, yeah, no, it was just really put together well. And they just, I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger per se, but they no, do I leave just it fucking, a point. Yeah. But it does do the similar thing, though, because the way it ends, it makes you want to push play on the next episode because oh, yeah. it does leave you at a point where you're just sort of engrossed in how deep these goes. And the other thing, too, was we forget because, well, we don't forget, but we don't think about it a lot because ILM is so closely tied to Star Wars because Star Wars is the reason ILM exists. But um, the other thing, too, is at the beginning when they were doing the montage of the projects that ILM has done, montage. I forgot how much. Of, I need a montage. Uh, when you gotta watch a lot of movies really fast, you need a montage. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, you know, just realizing, oh yeah, these motherfuckers are hands in all the Marvel shit and fucking, oh, yeah. hands, you know, so many projects that I just forget they're equated with. And you're like, oh, that's fucking right. These guys did that too. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. And the one that grabbed me is I completely forgot that. I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of these movies. I adore them, but not, you know, that's me. But they showed the shot, which has always been one of my favorite cinematic shots as a as a lover of things nautical and pirates. That scene in fucking um, the third Pirates movie where the um, where uh, the Black Pearl is fighting the um, 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 Flying Dutchman, and they're going down the abyss, mm -hmm. and they're just two ships swirling down a whirlpool, just unloading cannon fire, dude. I forget when they showed that in the opening thing, I was like, "Oh, that's right, those dudes did that shot." <laughs> and it was just like these fuckers have done a lot of things I fucking love, man. Yeah, it's so it's crazy. I guess the 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 thing I want to kind of like touch on is first of all, like we know that Lucas did so many things that hadn't been done previously or, or outside the box thinking in a lot of ways when, when he worked on star Wars, you know, there's so many different ways we can, we can talk about that. But with this, he, you know, he wanted to do sort of like dog fights in space. That that's was kind of his thing that he said, um, you know, sounds cool. I, you know, we hadn't really, I mean, as far as I'm aware, there hadn't really been anything to the degree that he wanted to do. Like he had talked about, right. there's 2001 Space Odyssey, which was amazing. And there's mod there's some great models, there's some great shots, but it's very static shots. And they move very slowly to show, right. you know, because it fits the movie. It fits the tone of the movie. It makes sense. But this... And it's a little more realistic about how space travel is, to be fair. Yeah. 
And with this, you know, George wanted to make an action movie with speed. You know, he talked about being kind of a speed junkie, and I'm not talking about the drugs, but maybe, maybe, who knows? <laughs> but um, you know, he talked about. I think he was an adrenaline junkie. He may like speed too because he was in the entertainment industry, but I'm sure he's just an adrenaline junkie, which a lot of yeah. folks are too. Yeah, and that's you know, and we can see that. I mean, it's <laughs> look at the you know the speeder chase in 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 Jedi. Um, you know, look at the, obviously the pod racer scenes. There's so many, you know, and then there's some others in the, um, prequels, you know, through Coruscant. Um, so, you know, clearly he's a big fan of that and, you know, but they had to devise a way to do these sort of like dog fights in space with models, you know, like they obviously there's no CG at the time. They had to use models. Um, and in order to get the shots that George wanted, they needed to have the cameras move, not move the models in, you know, in, in just three-dimensional space. This is having the cameras move in unison with the models. And that was, you know, what was to create a lot of the really interesting movements and, you know, and sort of getting like a bit of like a um, kind of a third-person uh, following some of the ships and even well, first person. About, it was a lot about talking. They were talking a lot about how it was a lot of trying to make sure the lighting stayed a certain way too. Right, like, which is why they weren't moving the ships and the moving exactly. the camera. Yeah. So I like the way they explained that, that, you know, they needed to make it look like the sun was always hitting on one of these spots of the ship. And just, you know, they the fact that they went into it with the intricacy to think of that on the outset of what the shots needed yeah. to be was pretty amazing. Yeah, and crazy that they, I mean, they had to create so much technology to do this. Right. You know, they, they talked about, you know, it's interesting that they had so many, I mean, they call it industrial light and magic. Um, that may not be as apt anymore, but back then there was an industrial, like, design element to it where you well, that's were... What... That's what Dykstra was on the outset. Yeah. That was right. Or was it the other guy? I can't remember now. I'm pretty sure um, it was Dykstra. Yeah. And the fact that they also said that a good chunk of in the 80 percentile, I think they said of the people when they first started it, they were all machinists and shit like that. And, you know, they were just people who knew how, you know, to work with blueprints and, and you know, get these exact pieces they needed so they literally came to this right on the outset knowing we were going to have to build everything we were going to need and they just brought on a team of people who just knew how to craft all that specialized the gears and the lenses yeah. like they said you know when they were like we had to make a whole new uh steady zoom lens that would work on this camera so that we could do the little focal lens shots and i was like damn these motherfuckers are like you know they're building custom lenses on premises. You know, it's not like they can call somebody and be like, we need this. They literally had people working in that fucking hot ass warehouse machining yeah. parts all day long. Yeah. 90 degrees probably. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's, that just goes to show you the elements in Hollywood that nobody thinks about all those people behind the scenes who make those great sets that they're standing on or, you know, 
you know, created and invented that really cool car you saw in a science fiction movie or that really neat staff the wizard had in that fucking fantasy flick, you know, little things like that you don't really think a lot about in the context of watching a film if it's good because you're not supposed to be thinking about those things when you watch a film, especially yeah. the first time. But um, that... I mean, you think of how iconic all the things that came out of just this movie alone. Let's not even get into all the other stuff ILM has done. Just what they started doing alone. How iconic everything it was that was constructed during that time was. And this is a group of people who, though creative, they were working in tandem with the... And, like, uh, it was Dykstra, wasn't it, who he, like, knew how to almost do everything and he would just break up the monotony walk into the model room and start making helping them make models and shit and then he'd fuck off to another area and help them do yeah yeah it was him yeah design for the cameras and shit yeah i mean everyone had to be a jack of all trades but it sounds like he was sort of like the king of the jack of all trades you know I like the way the other guys talked about him, too. They were like, he was the leader because he was a very large, imposing man who spoke very directly. And he was like, you know, he just took this whole thing, everybody by the fucking leads, and was just like, this is where we're going, tally fucking ho. And they were like, fuck it, I'm in. Yeah. Oh, I I have to mention one. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. I have to mention one other thing before (laughs) I forget about it. Um But the boys episode six. No, Richard (laughs) Richard Edlund. Um who was one of the camera, he was in the camera department. He was the dude that created the pig nose amp. Did you yeah. fucking see oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. It blew my mind. I sat up for a second because uh, I watched it with my wife uh, during dinner. Yeah. And uh, I kind of freaked out by it. And then later on when they showed him in one of the still photos and he was wearing a pig nose shirt, I was like, where can I get that shirt? Yeah. <laughs> like, that dude's le- legit. Like, not, you know I mean. they still make those? The music Oh, yeah. Store? the music store around the corner from me I went there and they had a snakeskin one of the new models out on display. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I had one for like three years back in the early nineties. And, and he was also like a rock and roll photographer. Like yeah. he, he shot like album covers for like Warren Zevon, uh, seals and Croft seals and Croft, yeah, or, or some of the others. Um, let me see. There was a couple I didn't recognize when they showed the albums. I was like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, the Zevon though, I recognized right away. Three Dog yeah. Night, that's the that's the other one. Uh, Seals and Crofts. Three Dog um, Night, that was the other one that I yeah, remember. Yeah, fucking, cra- like, that's crazy, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. That dude, he was. He said he was sort of a journeyman, and he really was. When he broke down everything he did, and he would just do it because it was like, that's the kind of mentality I wish everybody had, where they see something that's like, I like that. I'm going to go learn how to do that and or how to know more about this. You know, he was that type of dude. And I dig those types of people, man, who are just like this new thing. I want to know how to do it. Let's just go do that. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's pretty nuts. I mean, there's some people who are just super talented in, you know, in being able to, you know, kind of conceive their ideas like that. So it's, it's crazy, but yeah, like, created these amps and then Eric Clapton, George Harrison, Keith Richards ended up fucking using them. Um, well, I remember that. I remember, reading long, I remember reading, reading a long time ago about pig nose in an article. And they had said that the secret to their success is that's what they did. They built so many models and just sent them to famous guitar. Yeah. Players. It's a great way to do it. 
Yeah, and then you just, if they like it, get a picture of them with it, and that's going to sell a good fucking couple hundred yeah. <laughs> at that time. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. So, I mean, obviously, we're, we're going to nerd out about that because we're, we're you know, music guys. So yeah. I, when I saw that, it was like, holy fuck, that's amazing. You were a guitar player like you and I are. Yeah. And that was great to have a little something that you could take your fucking, because if you were like me, you didn't have an option between having an acoustic or electric. I chose to get an electric guitar and it's not something you can take out somewhere, but pig nose came along and you were like, fuck yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, for any younger folks listening, uh, you know, you could be like, oh, no. just, you just grab your, your app and then you plug in and you can just play your guitar through your app. Yeah. It, it wasn't always like that back in the day. Most people had like, um, you know, like a, I don't know, like a two by 10 or a two by 12, like portable amp. Like that was your sort of like portable amp. And by, when I say like two by 12, I mean like two 12 inch speakers, you know, like that was sort of like the practice amp back in my day when I first started playing. Um, you still get a hernia carrying that because back in the day, everything was made out of fucking real metal and it was yeah, heavy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, back then, and you know, when I'm talking about like, or uh, my, you know, when I got my first guitar was late, late eighties. So I'm going to say like early nineties is when I started really getting into it. Um, you know, th- sure there were smaller amps, but, um, you know, I was looking for something I could play at a gig, play that, that could be loud and be used right. as a practice amp. So, um, pig nose probably wouldn't have been the, the, the right pick if you couldn't, if you couldn't, um, you know, mic it or whatever. So. Right. Even um, then you better hope that Mike can fucking pick it up without feeding back like a bitch. Right, right. So I do remember Pig Nose back in the day when I was looking for amps, but um just wasn't a viable option for me at the time. But yeah, it's just it's crazy. <laughs> this dude is a fucking like Yeah. Like a superhero as you know, <laughs> when, when it comes to like fabrication and, and design, you know? Yeah. But so, now we have the futuristic version of the Pig Nose because I just turned you on to the spark. Which yeah, in essence is the di- digital representation of that in a way, just on a different level. Yeah, uh, I got my Spark right next to me, right here on my desk. Um, there's also, I know you've seen it. They, they put out the Spark Mini, which is yep, uh, essentially, you know, a, a smaller, nose. smaller version. It's yeah, it's more. The, yeah, it's actually the pig nose size. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. It's even like that technology is now uh, moving moving forward into the sort of new, new, you know, tech. Tech, uh, technological age. Um, but how yeah. loud is that spark, though? That motherfucker. Oh yeah, like loud. I mean, I live in an apartment, so I haven't been able to turn it up all the way, but I'm sure it would get right. really loud. I've cranked it in my studio a couple of times. It actually has more behind it than you think it does. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah that was that dude. That dude was amazing. Man. Yeah, and it was facets of this documentary like that where they dig it did a deep dive into someone's background and you realize wow that fucker had some well like the dude who came over from disney who was the uh uh son of the disney animator um who uh yeah uh did, peter ellenshaw uh, yeah who did the matte um painting for things that was like it's something i i knew but it's not a part of it you ever think of and i forgot that some of that mat work in a new hope was fucking groundbreakingly awesome. Yeah. So that was uh so just just for the record, Peter Ellen Shaw was the father. He was the one that worked at Disney. 
and right. his son is Harrison Ellen Shaw, and he was brought in like you know he was still working at Disney during the day, <laughs> and then he would come work at uh, ILM at night to do the fucking matte <laughs> paintings. Yeah, and then I love the fact because I've been in this situation. I love the fact we was talking about the room that he was in. Yeah, it was on the second floor. So when people come in and slam the door, it would cause the wall to vibrate. And they actually had footage of him getting pissed off because somebody came in and they were like, yeah. "So we're gonna rig up a little red light. You just turn this on when you're painting, and nobody opened the door." He's like, "Didn't stop anybody." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking good. That was the other thing, too. These guys that they interview for this documentary, they all are charming and have, you know, very whimsical story from back in the days, which, you know, at the time was hot, filthy, hard fucking work. But in retrospect, at their age, man, those were the good days, man. That's, you know, so it was nice to see these cats have really engaging stories to tell and make it fresh. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, so it was, it's just cool to hear a little of the background of each of the team members, you know, because, and, and even, like, seeing some of their um, homemade films was, was really fucking cool. And that was, I mean, like, that's some good shit in the 50s and 60s to be able to do that. Like, you can tell they were very inspired by, you know, Harryhausen. Uh, they all, basically, um, Seventh Voyage is Sinbad. I think every one of them brought up as, like, this oh, you changed my world. Lover, you can't be a lover of of science fiction or fantasy films and not be a fan of that. Right, right. I, especially in that in that age, you know. Right. So the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and then King Kong seemed to be another one that really um inspired a lot of these guys just seeing King Kong moving on screen and they wanted to try to um replicate it with you know, with using like, I don't know if it was eight or 16 millimeter cameras at home, probably eight. Um, one dude had a little Kodak video yeah. camera that he got. And to be, uh, Mars alluded to this in our chat where he was like, damn, some of the shit they were doing back in the 60s is better. Some of the shit that's happening now. And to be quite fair, some of those home movies that they showed, man, like the, the thing with the fucking, the fight with the hot dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was some really creative. Yeah, and with that, like the one with the hand over the fence or whatever it was. Yeah, super creative. And like, I feel like you you don't really see that anymore. Like, I mean, nowadays you'll see people, you know, like trying to uh, do their own sort of digital effects, you know. But, um, you know, and Phil Tippett. Everybody's busy lip syncing the songs on TikTok. Oh, God, don't even get me started. (laughs) Um. Uh, Phil Tippett, you know, obviously was featured in this as well. And uh, on my other podcast, Trick or Treat Radio, we recently reviewed his latest film, Mad God, which is all stop motion. It is a fucking like amazing. Yeah, it's on. It's on. on What's up? You guys just reviewed this on TOT. Yeah, yeah, we did it uh, maybe a month or two ago. I forget within the last few weeks. See, this is why I'm sad I don't get to listen to that show as regular as I used to, because I used to always get turned on to fucking freaky shit to go check out, and that's right up my alley if it's stop motion. What's it called again? Mad God. God, I'm writing yeah. that down right. It's on Shutter. If you have Shutter, uh, uh, I, I know. Don't. Yeah, it's Unfortunately. in the. I think. Yeah, I think it's probably on Shutter in Canada too. But um, 
But anyways, it's uh, yeah, all stop motion. It it essentially took him thirty years to make, um, from the initial like, idea. Horror, the, the, the horror, fucking Wallace and Gromit. Kind of, yeah. It's a surrealistic kind of horror, Wallace and Gromit. Sure. You know that dude, Wallace and Gromit. It did, he worked on that first one for like five years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I gotta see that. Mad God, I love Mad God. Motion. Yep, check it out. It's it's very bizarre, but it's it's so cool looking. It's it's really kind of incredible. Is it as bizarre as the video for Sober by Tool or even Prison Sex? Is that some of the Honestly, it might be more bizarre. Really? I mean, yep. yep. Sold. Tickets sold. <laughs> um, but you know, so I'd recently you know been been learning a little bit more about Phil Tippett when we talked about that. But, um, you know, seeing him in this also was really cool. And, you know, just like even seeing him mess around with like models when he was a kid, like he had like a like a little dinosaur or something. And yeah, um, yeah I thought is, um, I like the fact that he oh, this is this is my punk rock sticking out. And I like the fact that he didn't have money for G.I. Joe's. So even something I was like, I'd really stop motion. Thing oh, he stole him. Came out. I used to go steal them. Yeah, I was like, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'd admit that. On, I guess, I guess it doesn't matter now. Yeah, statute of limitations, man. He's already True. long since past that. If and if if he created the work that he created now, I think I think I think the contributions to the world are far greater than the money he lost for for, for let's those. Be honest. Let's be honest. Let's take the price point of a GI Joe doll back in 1967. And, you know, if you had to pay for six of those now, dude, would it hurt you? <laughs> no. At most, one of those things was maybe a dollar. Yeah, probably. But, um, yeah, like even just those stories about about that and seeing them making their home, their home movies and, and everything I thought was really outstanding. And it shows a love of the craft. And it also shows you that if there's anyone – if if there's any team that is going to do what they ended up doing like it is this group of people and they were all sort of connected um you know by the community because there wasn't many people doing this so they all knew each other and they also uh was a famous mo- uh famous monsters the magazine from Forrest Ackerman uh they used to go to like Forrest Ackerman's house and like you know and that museum as kids yeah 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 so like just just all like all that whole story is just it's just outstanding. It's 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 fucking crazy. It's one of those it's one of those feel good Americana, you know, stories of you know success. I mean <laughs> success. Yeah, yeah that, that's creativity that and success. It's yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. And just to see but, um, the talent come together in this is crazy. The other thing too, and once again, whether you want to lean in on the genius of the, you know what he knew was the right thing to do and if he, he you know or just the luck of his pull the fact that the fact that lucas just walked into dykstra and was like this is what i want to do find people who can do this and just basically left it up to them and he fucked off to england for a yeah. year and some change yeah and then comes back to just see what they have done you know and it's like the fact that they were left to their own creative devices to make this happen, you know, there's a lot. Uh, this just proves how much, you know, Lucas, whether he was lucky or new in his infinite wisdom, that this was the guy, if anybody, that can do this. 
you know, and it turned out as it did. Because let's be honest, the things that ILM created are the most memorable things about Star Wars. Like it really is. We think of the ships, we think of the Death Star, we think of lightsabers, we think of the guns, we think, you know, oh yeah, speeders, all these things. That's ILM, dude. Yeah, without, I, I mean, honestly, without ILM, uh, Star Wars is is nowhere near like as legendary as it is you know exactly well we don't know that for sure but i would like to think it wouldn't be the same no yeah i mean if it was just like you know some of the same old technology we've seen sure it probably would have done okay but it wouldn't it wouldn't have been this major force that that you know really changed it honestly I, i was gonna say change cinema uh it changed pop culture like it changed both cinema and pop it culture. Both, yeah. yeah, I was about to say it definitely changed. Well, I mean, first of all, well, as they were even saying at the beginning of this, at the time this was happening, you know, just the decade prior, or not even a full decade prior, there was a push at doing these things in commercials and everything else using right, right special effects, and it was dying off. It was off. like those the, paper you know, cutouts. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the '60s, people were losing interest in special effects-driven stuff. And this was, not only did it bring it back, but it propelled it to where, you know, look where we live now. And some might say for worse, and I would say sometimes worse, sometimes for better. But, you know, you you don't go see a summer movie that doesn't have a level of, you know, special effects. Period. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's it's really impressive just to see the amount of talent that was put together here. And, you know, these guys had to not only create the models and like fabricate all these these models and the ships and all that. They also they had to create the cameras, the film. Right. I was gonna say they had to build fucking cameras, like special cameras that have never been been built before. Like Right. You know, it's it's crazy. Um I want to find out the name. Let's see. I'm kind of scrubbing through the the video here. They they talked about the camera technology they used that was used for like older films that hadn't been oh, used since of, Ten Commandments yeah. or something like that. Was it? No, no it was the uh, uh, Electrovision. No, um, Vista Vision. Vista Vision. That's it. Yep. Yeah, the Vista Vision, and I remember Vista Vision. It, immensely because a lot of those early sci-fi flicks that i loved as a kid were a lot of those classic ones from the mid 60s early 60s kind of thing so i always remember seeing vista vision and really all it was was for the ability to give good panning shots yeah (laughs) but uh but yeah the fact that they had to frankenstein those cameras into what they necessitated you know it was I don't know. Yeah. That's why that's that's why at the time nothing felt like Star Wars. A million people tried to do it in that same time and nothing felt like Star Wars. Yeah, it's it, you know, just in the ingenuity and you know, just just the way that they had to think about everything differently. Like there was nothing to fall back on. It was like all they, sure they could take their experience working on other things, but it was all taking that experience in find, finding inventive ways to make this work because this technology right. had never been used before. Right. And this it, is, once again, a, a count amount to the genius gathered in the room. 
you yeah this that miracle mixture that comes along once in a lifetime yep that fucking if these people didn't know each other and have an opportunity at the same fucking time how different would our timeline be <laughs> yeah no shit it's quantum mania man <laughs> And even seeing, you know, towards the end of the first episode, they were showing them, you know, talking about the cameras and how they basically would record like a path because they had to run that path back several times over. And, you know, so even something like that, like they had to build their own computers, they had to build their own camera rigs, um, you know, mechanical rigs that would record movement so that they could reenact the same movement over and over. Um, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy yeah. to see it. Yeah. And like I said, Frank Zappa and the mothers of invention, mother, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, dude. Yep. And they had to, they had to create something that hasn't existed before. And it takes a certain kind of intestinal metal to fucking be able to be like, you know what? My brain's up to this. Let's fucking go. And, tally fucking ho here we are at a turning point in history and nobody knew that at the time but it really is if you think if you think about how impactful any medium of visual storytelling is whether it's television or fucking film this was a turning point for the trajectory everything would take to where we are in the modern day like i said for better or for worse with where we are with special effects driven properties it's still this trajectory i won't say it wouldn't happen it would not happen in this manner without this moment in time ilm's birth changed i don't even want to use the term pop culture because it's more of a societal thing yeah. any medium watch is fucking predicated on that turning point in history so it's yeah. it is pretty epic yeah, I mean, even looking just today at the sort of cinematic landscape, or not even cinematic, but um, entertainment landscape, you know, like I feel like Star War without Star Wars, we I don't know that we'd have Marvel, you know, like cinematic universe, and like, you know, who knows what direction it would have went in, but like I, well, we would have, they'd still be using Donner's fucking wire work to fucking make. <laughs> right right like i wonder what the you know the difference would have been yeah but without this i mean what does the timeline look like it's probably a very dark timeline right exactly um it, well it's it's funny this comes up because between all the marvel stuff doing multiverse stuff right now and the fact that uh um i've recently since i i got really addicted to star trek strange new world so i decided i was like i want to go back and revisit one of those old trek things man and i remember really digging the last several seasons of deep space nine when the war starts because there was a lot of just really good social commentary episodes yep at the time like the ferengi kid loses his fucking leg and like, he just joined starfleet and like a year later, he's in a battle and loses his legs. So, like, they do a whole PTSD wounded soldier episode that's just fucking gripping. Like, the writing was actually really strong. It still kind of holds up. Um, but uh, they're doing a lot of Mirror Universe stuff at the end of the fucking... At the end of this show's run as well. So, it's fucking... I'm always like, what happens if evil Luke Skywalker comes over in a goatee? It's the same thing here. It's like, what if... What if evil no goiter George Lucas shows up clean shaven 
<laughs> you know, it's like there's an alternate timeline where ILM never happened, dude. And now the Marvel movies look like big hands coming over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> or we're still using, yeah, we're still using Ray Harryhausen technology, which, yeah, which actually, I mean, which is cool, but. I was about to say, I wouldn't be opposed to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a really fascinating look into the creation of you know, ILM, which is such a huge part of the film industry. And and we'll see how, you know, the, its impact on the film industry as we continue on in the series, because, you know, as of right now, we're focusing on Star Wars because that's what, what, what birthed it, you know, but, you know. I know nothing about birthing no Star Wars. <laughs> but then we'll have the other uh, original trilogy films that they'll probably talk about and, and all the things that, that came out of that. Because, you know, George even said in this, like, basically... Um, there was no company doing what I wanted. I looked at some others out there and there was no company doing what we needed. So we just had to create our own company. Right. And like, not only uh, seriously, like there's no, I don't think I can think of anybody else in the entertainment industry that made as many smart decisions as George Lucas did early on. Um, Again, I like to chalk it up that he was that smart because he's still a very smart guy. Anytime they give him an interview about it and it's things that he knows, the dude's got knowledge. So I like to chalk it up to the fact that he may have had that foresight that these are the only people he thinks he could trust to try to pull this off. And it just, it was a combination of his foresight and their skill set that once made once in a lifetime magic. And like. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? They're, you know, Talk a little bit. it's hard to figure on whether it was, you know, like I said, luck of the draw or how much of it was the foresight and trust between those two when he first approached him with the idea. Um, but it is an interesting dive into a piece of history. And I, the reason I, you know, like Mars likes to get, give me shit about the chain code and whatever like that. I'm a big history buff. Mm-hmm. I fucking really love learning more about history because I'm a firm believer. If you don't fucking learn from the faults in the past, it's going to keep happening. Yeah. You doomed so, to repeat them, right? Exactly. So I don't want to do that with my personal life. I can never change the world, but I try to do, not do that with my personal life. But the thing is, is what is the thing? <laughs> it has just left your mind. It did. It just poofed right out there. Um, we were talking about Lucas. Um, shit. Um, oh, the trust of those guys, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to chalk it up to in my mind for as far as I've read. I don't know if they'll maybe correct that in further episodes. I doubt they will because it's more of a, you know, philosophical slash egg. Nah, I wouldn't call it. Fuck it. Drugs are bad. Okay. (laughs) Drugs are bad. Okay. Um, oh god yeah, imagine and, how many drugs they were doing at the fucking creation oh, of ILM dude are you kidding me <laughs> they didn't show that much, <laughs> I'm willing to say how much they're still doing to do that so, fucking slip and slide on like a fucking asphalt well on an asphalt but on a plane like what was it like the, the ramp oh the, the emergency evacuation yeah, ramp yeah to yeah. make a <laughs> <laughs> to make one out of that, like it's just to be fucking fair, that crazy. was a fucking cool idea, and I oh, wanted yeah. to try it. When I saw the video, I was like, it's "Badass!" That. Yeah, but I mean, but once again, dude, it was the '70s, man. 
fucking you blew off steam the only way you know how we didn't have all the luxuries of yeah. video games and shit like that we had to actually go outside and play <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man but see once again that's a testament to the camaraderie they were under deadlines they were in fucking shitty conditions in that hot place so they you know they made their little splash of lemonade out of the lemons to get them through the project because they all wanted to see it succeed so at the end of the day it is the group mentality that we want to join together to make this thing happen. And they just found ways to make it happen. And boy, did they make it happen. <laughs> well, they're going to have to find a way to make it happen with the other 3,998 <laughs> shots that are needed. <laughs> After yeah. this first episode, they did two shots <laughs> out of like 4,000 or something. To wrap this up, that's the cliffhanger. Yeah. They leave you there with fucking the deadline and how many shots need. Now, we know they eventually do it, but now I'm curious to see how many stumbles and falls in the fucking foot race it is to finish on time. <laughs> so, I don't know, but this kind of shit's interesting to me. Like I said, as a history buff, yeah, I like learning yeah. things. So, for me, this was, I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger, but it does have me catalyzed to jump into the second episode so i'll be ready for next week to see more yeah. about this deadline reach honestly when it ended i was like ah oh, fuck i want to watch the next one you know but i didn't have time to do it anyways because i watched it like on, on my lunch break so um right. just wasn't going to happen but um but yeah it's it's super interesting and and you know for a story that a lot of us know the sort of like a lot of the details uh, they still manage. Still more to know. Yeah, yeah, they still manage to bring out some stuff that we had never known. And like you'd said, the you know the early X-wing and Tie Fighter models, um, which was kind of cool in its own right. It had a whole spider vibe. When I looked at it, I was like, man, if Spider-Man had a spaceship, that's what the fuck he's flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's... ought to come out with another version of that since they've been getting so retro with the Macquarie and stuff like that. They should come out with a ship in one of the next animated shows and call it like the fucking arachnid or some shit like that <laughs> but um it's yeah it's just it's so it's so cool to see the behind the scenes stuff of this and you know i think just in general looking at you know kind of like the behind the magic um is always kind of fun but like this is trailblazing shit you know so it's not right. just any you know, like behind the scenes, this is, you know, it's going to inform filmmaking for years and years afterward. Right. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess there's not a, a, a ton more to discuss about it because, you know, we, we got to see some cool, you know, we talked about the Millennium Falcon already, how that was created and, um, you know, some of the ingenuity that they had to sort of, uh, utilize and in, in in putting together the you know all the technology that they used but yeah it's it's pretty nuts yeah i mean like i said if, if you're into cinema or if you're into history or you just like learning new things about fun shit like i'm actually going to be curious when we get to the episodes where we see them talking about how they how they filmed some of the non-cgi marvel shots and stuff like that um so it's 
there's a lot still to learn because there's a whole era of ILM that I just don't know when they did yeah, all the yeah. transition after the prequels came out and stuff like that when everything started switching over which I'm sure is probably another interesting story from there but um, the early history of this and seeing all the old footage makes it a fun watch if you like documentaries in general or anything like that you should really check it well like I said we're only one episode in but the first episode's really good so yeah and I, I misspoke earlier I said 4,000 um, shots it was 400 so just I, when I said it, I was like, wait, it couldn't have been 4,000. That's insane. But it was, you yeah. know, four, zero, asshole. 400 special effects shots that they were supposed to have ready. And Lucas says they spent half the budget and only had two shots. And there's six months to go right. until Star Wars is supposed to be released. Yeah. So that's it. Once again, if that sort of thing rivets you, like chain code apparently rivets me, I guess, then. Oh, chain codes get I'm, me hot. Yeah, I, I still don't understand the argument for that. It's like, I love seeing the origin point of certain things that have just, you know, they're so common, you don't think about them. So when they bring up a bit of history, you're kind of like, oh, so that's how they implemented that idea. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's me. I like the nuance of history. The nuance of history. That's your, yes. uh, that's going to be your, that's my- uh, my PBS special. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that's better than a Welcome man. to Rocky's Nuances of History. Green Sativa's Nuance of History, <laughs> episode 49. And we're going to have the lovely British intro, and then when you come into me, it's going to be a horrible Cockney accent. It's <laughs> like, oi, listen here, you fucko. <laughs> Just one time, these fucking two fucking science fiction fancy pants motherfuckers. They got together and said, we want to have fucking the Battle of Britain in space. So I said, fuck yeah. <laughs> so basically you're you're going to talk like Butcher. No, well, I he, didn't even think about it. Well, that. he's not quite Cockney, but still. Yeah, a little bit, but yeah, not He's just, he's, a, <laughs> I, I've loved fucking Carl Urban for a while now. Like, I still think as much as you kind of have to get the inside joke, the way he played fucking McCoy and the fucking Abram Star Trek flicks was fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, and yeah. Fucking, I'm not a Judge Dredd fan, but that fucking Dredd movie he did was fucking crazy. Oh, it's good, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just done a lot of good things. He plays a good maniac. And the fact that his maniac, and this is a borderline good guy, just makes it all the more fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He is the antithesis of Homelander because Homelander is fucking so shitty that when you get a glimmer of hope that he's not 100% evil, it's great. And the thing with fucking Butcher is, is you know he has good intentions, but he's just a psycho trying to get he's there. A, well, he's a bastard too. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't have the oh, best yeah. of intentions all the time. No, 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 not at all. I mean, he's, like I said, it started out with his heart in sort of the right place, but that's how perverted it gets. And it's just, it's just it's the mirror image of how fucking Homelanders. Anyway, we're on the boys again. Let's wrap up the Star Wars stuff, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm that's that's um, that's pretty much it. I mean, we're left there with Lucas saying, I was not happy. <laughs> we have 398 <laughs> shots left, six months, and you spent half the budget. What the fuck are we going to do here? Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice that you can take a known story and st- that's that's the that's the magic of, you know, editing and directing of a documentary is it really is 
you can take something that we all know how it ends and still make it suspenseful to carry over into the next episode, yeah. which is also a rarity, right? Yeah, uh, I think it's um, I, I think it's great because it's really compelling just to see where they're gonna, you know, like we know they got it done, but it's still compelling to, you know, to hear the narrative behind it, you know. Right. So. Oh, it's Again. funny. You know what? I didn't even. I I think mine ended, um, before this. But there's like a little during the credits. Let me just go back. I was just watching. There's an ad for um. Where'd it go? Eastman nine ten adhesive. Um, that's the thing that they used that he talked about holding the ships. Oh yeah, super glue essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a great little story too, in and of itself. Man, was like you know them him introducing fucking super glue to the model makers. I know, <laughs> you know. Um, but we, again, we don't think about the time period. So super glue was invented right before the wasn't right before the end of World War II and was used in Korea to help heal wounds, the, or to keep wounds closed until they could get you to a hospital. Was like the immediate wow. purpose of this, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, it moved into the industrial capacity once the war was over and uh, started being used in some of the um, government factories and, you know, munitions plants and stuff like that. And then mm -hmm. slowly trickled down through the handyman grouping until we get to the 70s. And at that point, it's like only people who worked in certain types of construction and engineering knew about this stuff. So it was like, well, let's give this shit to model makers now. <laughs> So, you know, yeah. that's even a small historical evolution that if you're a nerd and like history, that's kind of neat. <laughs> like me. Um. So, yeah, that's that's uh, Gang of Outsiders, episode one of Light and Magic. It was uh, a lot of fun to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out next episode and see where it goes. Um, see the tense resolution of four four thousand shots. Yeah. See if George Lucas goes on a fucking uh, killing spree and kills everyone and <laughs> does it himself. <laughs> he just starts fucking shooting out a big ass fucking toad tongue and pulling people into his neck sack. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Have you ever heard the story of Darth Goida? <laughs> 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 Have you ever heard the story of Darth Gorder on speed? <laughs> but that's always been an underlying thing, too, because we've seen it. Uh, you see it a lot in video games and novelizations was the fact that, you know, Lucas was such big in the hot rods and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, everybody who's touched Star Wars has tried to make Lucas proud by some form of speeder or something. That's, yep. You know, in that vein, like in the old Republic game, there are so many speeders, a couple of speeders that actually look like they have grills on them and they look like they're sort of like, like a 1944 Ford coupe in speeder versions, you know, so everybody's kind of paid homage to that. So, uh, you know, again, it the fact that Lucas's whole thing was, yes, 2001 was epic, but I want ships to go fast and let's do dogfights. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on. That is great. Check it out. Yeah. So episode one, you know what? I'm going to play uh, the voice message now because it is about episode sure. one of this, and then we'll move on to news. So let's hear from Double D. 
Hey, Force Intensive peeps, what's going on? It's your boy Double D chiming in just to say hello. Hopefully, all are good. And uh, I just finished watching the episode of uh, Light and Magic. I thought it was actually pretty cool. I liked how they uh, went into detail about the inception of uh, special effects. And I especially love the behind the scenes look, uh, scenes that they showed there uh, with all the designers. And I think I realized one thing that was actually quite interesting to me. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the original trailer to Star Wars, uh, A New Hope. And they showed it in that episode, so I thought it was really cool. Uh, anyway, I thoroughly enjoy the show. I think, uh, you know, I think it gives us more of an appreciation about what goes into, like, you know, making Star Wars movies, man. You know, it, I think we're a bit desensitized, you know, in this... Uh, new age of movies and series that, you know, we don't really appreciate uh, what goes into them. So I uh, I especially enjoyed it. I think it's a, a good show to uh, use in, in between while we wait for Andor, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. So anyway, I thought it was cool. Love to hear your, your guys' thoughts. And uh, uh, based on the comments you guys said for last week's uh, episode, since I've been so graciously uh, accepted into the force and sensitive fold, uh, go fuck yourselves, all of you. Okay, <laughs> double D out. Wow, it's a disease. It's <laughs> it kind of is. It's a virus. God damn it! Fucking evil corny is patient zero. <laughs> He's got the T virus. He's got the GFY virus. Yeah, the GFY virus. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I love Double D, man. He seems like a fucking cool dude, man. But uh, he did bring up something that I forgot about, too, which was the trailer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But he did touch on the most important thing that we need to dive into before we have to get out of here, which is fucking Andor, bitch. Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit in at the top here. Um, well, actually, before we jump into that, I uh, just wanted to thank Double D for taking the time. And uh, D, if you want to send in one for episode two, feel free, or three or four as we move on. Uh, or you can go fuck yourself. Or you can do that too, sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get to some news. And before we talk about that, uh, I wanted to, we kind of already mentioned this a little bit. Uh, speaking of Lawrence Kasson, he said that um, he was talking about the future of Solo. And so it says with, um, let's see, with the introduction of Disney Plus, it seems like an easy call to continue the story in some form. Lando was eventually announced in 2020, but it's unclear how much tangible movement has been made on the series since. And on the subject of Solo's specific follow-up series, Kasdan isn't a fan of the idea. He said, I've never been particularly drawn to expanding Solo into a show, but I do talk to John and Ron Howard, John Kasdan, his son, and Ron Howard a lot about what went right and what went wrong with the Solo experience. I would be more interested in doing another movie, not a TV series. Um... So it says John Kasdan and Ron Howard have also recently spoken about Solo and Kathleen Kennedy herself had to clarify some comments. So until, until the door is forever shut, keep the faith Solo 2 fans. That's what this article says. Here's the thing with that. Um, 
I do think Solo is a very underappreciated movie because it the the more I watch it, and I liked it out of the gate, but not like I do now, um, except for that one issue. <laughs> but uh, um, it's no different than the issue in Phantom Menace with fucking midichlorians. But fucking um. I would rather see it as a movie as well, because, you know, I don't mind us taking it on one, just doing one adventure that sort of is another way we see how he evolves into the Han Solo, like, you know, he has another life moment situation that sort of forms who he is by the time we meet him in A New Hope. I don't have a problem with that, but I agree that a series of that direct character, no. Lando would be great, because, you know, Lando can fuck off and meet all kinds of people that, you know, we haven't seen. And he's a character that we don't know a fuck ton about. And let's be honest, Glover does an amazing job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I would be cool with that. But I can agree with him on that, where if they are going to do it, which I'm not averse to, um, do it as a movie and just be done with it but that being said you just did obi-wan and i think there's lots of other fertile ground to play in i mean this whole mandoverse that is blowing that you know within the next two to three years we're going to be so deep on the lore that was born out of mando that we're going to be living in a little pocket of star wars time with lots of different characters yeah, for sure. It's it's a yeah. It's an interesting. What what will be? I guess what will be the most interesting is to see where they draw the line between film and series, and what the difference between the two is. Like, obviously, right. they can do some pretty amazing stuff with the TV series now, the streaming shows. But they still don't have quite the budget of of what a movie would have. Um, right. The one thing I'm curious about, and we'll talk about this in a moment, is with Andor. We found out that they filmed they filmed yeah. absolutely zero shots in front of in stagecraft. It's all on location. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how this compares to the previous Disney Plus shows. Uh, well, you can already tell from the trailer, especially the new one, which we'll get into in a minute. There's a there's a real tangible dirtiness to it that still can be missing. Like let's take the fucking the one ep, the one the Filoni episode that he did with the fucking other bounty hunter where they meet Finnick Shand. I remember I told you how the desert just felt yeah. dead. Yeah, yeah, I no wind. And I felt the same way in Obi Wan when the rooftop sequence felt very set versus real worldy to me. So this is something that will definitely be noticeable because I can already tell in the trailer when they're doing some of the dirtier shots in the landscapes that, you you know, sometimes you can't truly recreate realism 100%. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things I'm curious about is to see, you know, now that we can compare on the small screen, you know, the stagecraft from non-stagecraft, you know, just seeing what the difference is. Obviously there's going to be visual effects utilized, uh, to enhance scenes and whatever, you know? So, um, there's the speeders and shit don't actually fly. <laughs> and, you Fuck. know, I'm sure they're using the modern day equivalent of matte paintings, you know, with 
making <laughs> landscapes look bigger or adding more people or whatever. Um, and actually going to tell me there isn't no Easter Santa. <laughs> there isn't. Fuck. <laughs> Lion sack of shit. Anyway, yeah, I I think I mean, obviously you know there's not any moving like the elevator scene and shit and you know that sort of thing. But when they're in the fields, when they're in the village, when they're actually in battle zones, that those shots being exterior and being mostly made up of actual debt charges blowing dirt up in the air and running through mud actually looks like running through mud. Those sorts of things, though they can be created very closely. I'm sure in the volume because um, I had there has been some amazing shots in the volume that you know do feel real and stuff like that yeah but, uh, there's going to be a dirtiness to this and I think it's appropriate considering the time the timeline they're playing in um, I think that's the big difference we're going to see between the two so mm-hmm. yeah so, yep, so Andor has moved, as we mentioned, to September 21st. We're getting the first three episodes on that day. And uh, it'll we'll get an episode a week after that. So, And it runs for 12, right? 12 episodes. 12 season. episodes, yep. So um, let's see, we'll get... Uh, I'm just counting here. So I think November 23rd will be the season finale so you know we'll have a month left before the end of the year um but uh yeah so looking forward to checking that out and uh let's talk about the trailer real quick i know uh i think you um have had to go on an iv drip and and drink lots of fluids and call your doctor after uh four hours of having an erection yeah man the new trailer was good dude uh the second trailer came out too also was great but this one i mean the second one set up what i was hoping this would feel like which was i just wanted a good espionage fucking drama and as i told you that first that second trailer gave us all the vibes of cold war slash nazi occupation story arcs um this one did a really good job of because the the last one, they, they only showed Andor at the very end clip. This one, when they get to that build in the trailer where he's like, um, God, I forgot the verbiage he used, but he essentially saying that, you know, um, explaining how that's how he gets inside. You see him standing in an Imperial uniform again. Yeah. In a yeah. Row, yep. He's just standing there. And you're like, oh, shit. But the other great thing is one of the best lines in this new trailer that gets my blood pumping for the espionage side of things is Mon Mothma's line delivery, where she's like being annoying is how I keep them distracted from what I'm actually doing. And just the way that guy looked over, he's like, what are you actually doing? It's just like, that's the kind of spy thing. Like I'm hoping for fucking serious fucking intrigue in this show, which is, you know, touched on in star wars in some facets but having a whole show driven with the intensity of a fucking spy ring building underneath a giant galactic empire this this has all the makings of something epic yeah absolutely yeah it it looks i mean the new trailer looks great i i like i like the way they the direction they went with it it seems action-packed it seems very intriguing and I think, I mean, you know, there's no confirmation, but I think we see a young 
uh, Cassie and Andor in a few scenes in the trailer. I think we'll see a younger Cassie and Andor, like maybe to get a little bit of his backstory or something, unless there's another well, ch- child in this or something. He's made one of the greatest Star Wars lines ever in Rogue One when he says, he's like, yeah, this is real for you now, but I've been in this fight since, you know, he was however age. So I want to see that because, you know, he was on the cusp of the end of the Clone Wars, right? So I'm sure whatever horrible things fucking Federation did, mm-hmm. you know, the Separatists did to whatever happened to him is fucking, I want to know that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think we'll get a chance to see some of that stuff. And like I said, the political intrigue, the um, finally getting to see the actress who plays fucking Mon Mothma get something meaty to do is very intriguing to me. And uh, that's the Skarsgård father, right? Uh, Stellan Skarsgård, yeah. Yeah. And dude, his little sequence of events too, where he's sort of giving his little quick monologue about why he's doing what he's doing in this yeah, trailer. Yeah is riveting too and then they show that one shot of him in a cockpit of a fucking ship and you just see some shit getting fucking blown to hell in front of him it's like well (laughs) there's some shit going down yeah it seems like it's going to be a super interesting show i love that it's 12 episodes and i can't wait to see like really what they're going to do with it i mean there's so many so many great things that they could so many great directions they could go Again, there's only one way this show can be ruined for me. And how's that? That's there's no fucking Bothans in this fucking show. They haven't shown one in a trailer yet. But if there ain't no Bothans in this show, they did already announce that K2SO isn't in the first season. But that's because they wanted you to see the reasoning behind it when he appears in season two. So K2SO is actually going to be in season two. They've already announced, plain and simple. But, um, yeah, I I can't wait for that because I swear to God, of all the droids that have been in the films or the TV shows since Disney has taken over K2SO was a revelation for me. I fucking, he was like fucking, um, oh shit, fucking uh, HK40, HK47? Yeah, 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 the droid, yeah. The meatbag droid? Yes. <laughs> he was He was like that, but a little more charming. So, yeah, I'll be anxious for that. But, yeah, trailer looks great. Yep, sure does. Uh, Diego Luna, obviously, is doing the press, um, sort of the press runs. And um, so he was asked about what it's like to be part of the Star Wars universe. He says it's so unique. It's like nothing else. I've been all my life trying to get people's attention to watch the stories we want to tell, making noise so people would be like, who's that guy? But here's the opposite. The expectation is there. I was at Star Wars Celebration, and you can tell. The audience there, there's so much love for this. They want to see it, but they want to love it. And that's the and that energy is so special. It's like nothing else. Um, and he explained further about why this story was so special to him. He said, it's quite unique because we know what Cassian is capable of. We are going to meet him when he doesn't know he's capable of that. We're going to meet him when life is tough and it's sometimes a dark and interesting life. Because he's just a regular guy that suddenly has to become part of something bigger. Has to become part of a community that rises, you know? It's the beginning. It's the origins of a revolution. And it's a beautiful story because it reminds us of what we're capable of. There's no Jedi around. It's people having to take control. Speaking of that line you just said, that's nothing we've neglected to mention in the trailer. is fucking Skarsgård character is fucking meeting Saul Guerrero. And oh, Saul yeah, Guerrero's yeah. 
call it what you want. And he's like, yeah, I call it revolution. I was like, <laughs> son, fucking Sagarer ain't fucking around, dude. We're going to, that's, that's what makes me happy is we're going to see Sagarera's story continued in this. We're going to see how he fucking led his fucking early stages of the fucking rebellion that mm -hmm. made yeah. the rest go like yeah we try not to talk about that side of the family <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but um yeah that got me charged too because i was like fuck man give me more force Whitaker saw guerrera all day long i don't give a fuck man i'd watch i'd watch the tales of saw guerrera i'd love to see his fucking revolutionary fucking antics and they actually showed his uh second in command too the guy in the really cool aquatic looking helmet there's a shot of him standing on a hill with his rifle Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. So, um i can't remember his name but uh anyway yeah dude i you know this we talked about this when we started this show that when disney plus was announced i was jazzed for andor and hoping it was going to be this and now it looks like it's going to kind of be what i was hoping so i'm excited as fuck yeah looks awesome um we kind of talked about this a little bit but um, Andor will be the first Star Wars streaming series not to use the volume, uh, and all sets that they're using are practical sets. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see the difference. And, well, I mean, we've seen the difference in, in other stuff, but, um, you know, we'll be able to compare it with, rel better with relatively Sorry. similar technology, you know, to compare with you know, the Mando shows and Obi-Wan and stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I make the prediction it's going to feel more cinematic, but I think, I don't know. Remain to be seen. I think the biggest problem with that though, is, in theory is if this looks better than anything that's coming through Mando and stuff with the, they're, they're going to make some of the fucking angry people go, well, why can't they all look this good? <laughs> so, but I think they did that on purpose when they originally conceived that show as they wanted it to feel like a fucking war occupation, yeah. you know, film. And the only way you can do that is get dirty. Let's see. Some more news here. Um, Cameron Monaghan, who um, portrays Cal Kestis in... Um, video games in Fallen Order and the soon-to-be-released Jedi Survivor. Um, I guess there's some more rumors uh, about his jump to live action. So he says, well, while promoting his new project, Paradise Highway, the actor was asked about a possible live action appearance of Cal, and he said, well, of course there's interest. That's all I can say. So, I mean, <laughs> whether he's just being you know, kind of coy about it and, and, you know, like is romance about it or if he's just being, you know, being hopeful, um, you know, we don't really know, but. Well, they're playing around on some timelines where technically if that game's considered canon, he does exist. So it's not out the realm of possibility. He'll show up in one of these things that are happening yeah. in that timeline. I just feel I, I hope, I mean, I, I know I played Fallen Order. Um, I'm going to play Survivor when it comes out. But, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't played the games and won't play the games. So I just hope that right. it makes sense for those folks, you know, 
And well, they've done a good job bringing in Ahsoka and bringing in Bo-Katan, and you know they've 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 done it. I mean, technically, they did that with Saw Gerrera. Most people only know Saw Gerrera from right, Rogue right. One. Yep. So, um, you know, technically, they can do that if you just have to put them in the right situation where you get a little bit of exposition as to who they are as a character. Yeah. Not necessarily their background, but to just say, oh, he's that type of personality. He's yeah. the guy. It, this. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you know the story, then it, it deepens the connection and maybe right. you have an idea about his origin. But otherwise, he's just a character that shows up and, you know, you give right. a little context to where he may have come from, but you don't have to tell the whole story. It's the difference, like I said, it's the difference when uh, between uh, us having clone wars and rebels background before mando and you guys not like when the dark saber was revealed at the end of season one you guys thought it was a cool fucking weapon but those right. of us who watch the show are like holy, holy fuck. fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's like uh you know people people still got something out of it it's just the level of which you'll get something out of it if you have the deeper well yeah yeah exactly uh all right I think it's it for news. Did did you happen to see anything this week? Um, uh, as what I saw. No, I don't want to hear saw, about your porn viewings. I saw this isn't really porn, but I saw a random booby pop out at a bar. <laughs> a ra- so, just random. Just random. <laughs> just fucking pop right out, and you just kind of sit there and go, "Huh." You don't it's see those in the wild often. But uh, so it wasn't someone who was flashing you while you were playing. No, no, no. Those days are over. Weird. This is a complete, that top was way too loose and you were way too drunk to be trying to walk out of the bar unassisted kind of moment. But um, anyway, uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, I don't think I wanted to, like I said, I've just kind of been putting uh, Star Trek on in the background while I'm doing other stuff and um, trying to think of anything that, uh, anything of substance that we watched. Um, yeah, no, not, not really. It's been, it's been busy, busy, busy. So there hasn't been a lot of time for that. All right. So no, no new, no other news, no other things to talk about. That means we end the fucking show and I did have a question. Oh no. What? Yeah. So you as a vegetarian, vegan, Uh, vegan, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) semantics. Fucking, uh, there's, uh, I always wondered, uh, do you look upon things like, uh, either cunnilingus or fellatio as cannibalism? Uh, Seriously, you're not going to answer that? I'm curious. No, I don't look at, I don't ingest, I don't ingest someone's body, like I'm not eating them. They're fluids. That's not their muscle and their meat. It's still their so so. You, what you're saying is that you won't eat a pig, but you might drink its piss. Yub to the fucking nub. <laughs> Ugnut. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Next week, we're gonna talk about Light Magic episode two. Come back, hang out with us, join us, watch, leave a voice message, do whatever the fuck you want. Say bye. We need to start preparing more fake semen.